Welcome to episode six of Keep the Hotel Empty. I'm your host, Eric Paul. In studio today, we are grateful to welcome in clothier, innovative entrepreneur, and owner of Tweed's Custom Clothing, Donald Carlson. In today's episode, Donald discusses the development of his drive, starting as a magician and working his way up to owning a successful mobile and brick and mortar custom clothing company. Please enjoy. Welcome to Keep the Hotel Empty. Today we've kept the hotel empty to welcome in clothier, entrepreneur, and all-around dapper individual, Donald Carlson. Hello. Welcome, Donald. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. Dope spot. Thank you. So I know you've got a long, interesting tale that has led you here, and I would like to kind of go back to something that maybe not everybody knows about you. You were uh, raised around entrepreneurs, correct? Yep. And in the dry cleaning business. So yeah. it was always kind of a something in the back of your mind that one could do their own thing, correct? 100%. Okay. Yeah. So I know a little bit about you. Take me back to trips to Helen, Georgia, when you wind up at the Magic Store. <laughs> you did your research. I have. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, we spent our summers in Helen, Georgia. If you've ever been there, it's a really cool little place. And uh, we had a, a cabin on Mount Yona. And... Uh, during one of the trips to Helen, I found a magic shop, and this guy took a $1 bill and changed it into a 20 And uh, ever since then, well, now I don't do it as much, but I was hooked into learning magic. And how old were you at this point? I was like, oh, gosh. There was actually, before that, though, I was in St. Augustine when I was like, I want to say like eight or something. There was a magic shop in like a, <clears throat> in a little inside mall, and uh, I remember getting something called, did you ever do magic at all? Well, no, but I had a stepbrother that did. Did you ever hear of, like, a Svengali deck? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, like, the first magic trick I ever got, but that's not really what hooked me. Um, so I played with magic a little bit, but, uh, yeah, the, the $1 bill to 20 is what, like, got me hooked onto it. So when you're hooked and you feel that feeling, are you thinking to yourself, yes, I'm going to be a magician? I don't know if that was it, like, at that point, but I just got obsessed with, like, learning techniques and, like, the like magic behind it and, like, how everything worked. And how old were you when you went to that shop? Oh, God, I, I think I was like 12, probably. That would okay. be my guess. And then on subsequent trips back there, yeah. you went and helped out? Yeah, I was absolutely like an employee there, and I would trade my time for more, more magic. <laughs> so more just being comfortable doing your own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You used to have this, uh, this trick. I think it was called the Wonder Ball, and it was like you, uh, you have like a, a tube of bubbles, and you, like, you blow the bubbles out. And then you reach out and you catch a bubble, and it's like a crystal. Like, it's actually like a ball. Nice. And that was, like, one of my favorite tricks to perform. But then later on, I was like, I kind of learned what I liked and didn't like. Uh, I found, like, magic, like, card magic was my thing. So, like, just give me a regular deck of cards, and I'd do magic with that. So uh, you're talking middle school, high school. Yeah, middle school, high school. Spent my Friday nights on St. Armand's Circle trying mm-hmm. to gather up a crowd of people to do magic for. <laughs> Nice. a Square Mall, that type of stuff. So there is really no point in your story where you skip a beat of making your own money. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, during like summer times and stuff, like going to Walmart and getting the the three Powerades for a dollar and flipping them two for three. <laughs> <laughs> Did that type of stuff. Like, nice. Yeah. Okay, so you're in high school and the entrepreneurial thing is is unavoidable. You recognize it at this point, yeah. 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 And what are you thinking you're going to do with it? Uh, gosh, actually in high school though, uh, I would say more in like middle school, a little bit entrepreneurial. I think I got sidetracked in high school a little bit, uh, with 
magic, but then also probably some stu- stupid stuff. Life. Yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I worked at Lids for a while. That was a cool job. I worked as a busser at Gold Rush Barbecue. That was fun. And then at my dad's dry cleaner. So I think I always knew that probably was going to be like an entrepreneur and like have my own business. But definitely in high school, I'm not really sure that I was thinking about that too much. Because magic was the radar. Yeah, magic was the radar. I thought I was going to like leave high school and become a professional magician. I didn't know what I was going to do, but like that was my thought. Right. And when you're working these other jobs at Lids and everything, is there something in you that's just like, there's there's no way I can do this. Yeah. 100%. I have to do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. So when you get out of high school and you've got the skill set of, you know how to make yourself some money, mm-hmm. you got a skill set of magic tricks, where, where do you go right from there? Because suits and the, the clothier portion of the show was not on the radar at all at that point, correct? No. After high school, I, I really, right after high school, really, I worked at my mom's strike. My parents split. My mom kept one of the cleaners. So I worked at my mom's cleaner, cleaning business, and most of the time would just be practicing magic. And then one of my buddies got a job at Universal Studios for a place called Theater Magic, performing magic. And I had an in to try to get a job there. So I, I went and whatever, tried out, did an interview and got that job and then went to Universal Studios to do magic there for six months. And that was basically straight out of high school? That was basically straight out of high school. That was probably about nine months out of high school. And yeah. you had how long being around the dry cleaning business? I mean... Really, I wasn't in it my whole life. Like, you know, some younger times, you know, not being at school or something, I would help my dad in the dry cleaning plant, making hangers, hanging up clothes, all that fun stuff. Um, but then, you know, when I was like 15, I, I got a real job at the, at the cleaning store. Yeah. Okay, so then you go and work at Universal for a little while. Yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't do it. No. Well, so I got fired, which was very sad. For being too magical? What's that? <laughs> Being too magical. Too magic, yeah. This, yeah. this guy was too good. No. Yeah. Your, your magic was needed elsewhere. Yeah. yeah, no, no. So what really happened there was Universal Studios, like the place I worked at, Theater Magic, wasn't like the guy rented out the place. Like he was like a store inside of Universal Studios. Oh. Like he, it wasn't Universal Studios. Gotcha. So I worked in there and what we would do was like a 20-minute show. And within that 20-minute show, we'd basically be performing like five magic tricks that we would sell at the end. And so what we what we could sell based got like was um, the amount of magic we could sell like brought our hourly wage up basically, and so like I just couldn't sell enough magic, and so I just he was like let me go right yeah, but I can only imagine that that did some good for your people skills and interacting oh, with people at random yeah hundred percent I mean and even before that like just walking up to random people and asking them you know hey do you want to see a card trick. From the busking equivalent of yeah. magic. Yeah, yeah. Is that what they call it when you do magic on the street? Is that busking? still busking? Yeah, yeah, you okay. can say that, yeah. Okay. I don't know how many people use that term anymore, but yeah, yeah, that's what it is, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, I was inspired by a lot of, you know, we call, like, street magicians, like, in the in that world of magic. Right. Um, you know, like, David Blaine, obviously, was a huge inspiration. And then there's some, like, little guys like Wayne Houchin and uh, other guys that just did that type of street magic, and that inspired me. Where would you say that your ability to talk to people comes from like that? Were you always like that? Because I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with, so it helps to hear how you yeah. – did you ever get over the fear or did you just not have the fear? I think, you know, I think I got over the fear, but, like, I would sit in my room and practice a trick until I felt comfortable performing it. 
And then I would just go out and ask people if I could show them a trick. And then I think just doing it so often, like every day, I just it just became like like nothing. I don't think I'd be able to do it today though. No? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like it would be it would be weird for me to just go down Main Street and walk up to a random person and ask if they want to see a card trick. Because I haven't done it in so long. You know what I mean? It just becomes unfamiliar. Right. I, could I do it? Yeah, I, I could. But but you do have a history of getting yourself comfortable being uncomfortable, correct? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so when you get back from Universal and you're in, going back to being at the family cleaners, what yeah. are you thinking at this point? Well, I wanted to – I didn't know what I was going to do, right? So I think immediately I was like, all right, let me try to get back to the entrepreneurial way. So I asked my dad if I can start working for him. But, like, I didn't want to – be pressing clothes or like tagging clothes because we could find people to do that. Like I wanted to like provide like real value to the business. So I started a pickup and delivery service. Basically people who use dry cleaning services frequently, we'd pick up and deliver their clothes twice a week. And uh, that was a free service. So instead of them having to drop off and pick up and forget their clothes, we would just do it for them. And so I started knocking on doors and just kind of built that thing up. So being able to approach people has just been an invaluable skill. Yeah, I mean, magic, I think, helped with that a lot. Knocking on doors, I still do. I feel super comfortable doing that. Um, But, yeah, I do think, like, you know, asking people to see magic tricks randomly helped me in my ability to do the knocking, the door knocking. So how long did it take you to get from the point where you're conceptualizing growing what was just a small delivery service that your dad already had running, correct? Yeah, yeah, he had like seven customers on the route. It wasn't really anything. Gotcha. Yeah. So you took that seed and watered it. How how long from that point to where you're like, okay, I'm topping out here. Now, what's that like? What's your mentality like? Do you start seeing the delivery business getting short on runway? You're getting antsy to do something else? Yeah, I mean... It's a tough question, but like probably five years into it, like we built it up, you know, took like we went from one van to having seven vans and like, you know, multiple drivers four days a week just picking up and delivering clothes. Um, and I just kind of got burnt out and I kind of saw like a cap of like where this business could go. Right. It's a low ticket item. So like we have to pick up so many clothes to even really get anywhere. Um, and we built it up pretty substantially, but I just knew like I wanted to have a bigger business, something that could, you know, I could really scale and build. So you seem to have not much of a problem, and and forgive me if this seems like a harsh word, but becoming obsessed with the things that you get interested in, be it magic or... Yeah, 100%. I'm very one-track minded. Okay. I I, I can get that. I I see that. Like, it's either, like, magic was like, like, it's magic. Like, that's what I did. Like, I'd be up till 4 a.m. every night on, uh, remember the, do you remember Tiny Chat? It's like a video chat. Do you remember Tiny Chat? No? Okay. Um, like a video chat thing. And so I'd be like with magicians like all across the world and just be practicing magic every night. And then I'd be like going to conferences and stuff. And then with the dry cleaning business, it was only dry cleaning. All I wanted to do was knock on doors and try to get more people. And now with tweets, it's just like all tweets. Do you ever have the point where either people are telling you that you're obsessive or you're actually feeling obsessive yourself? Or is it more that when you get into that mode, that's actually when you feel comfortable? Uh, I, I mean, I could feel that I get obsessed with things. And yeah, I mean, my parents always told, like, I feel like I always got told like that I'm very obsessive person. But it didn't seem that way to you. No, uh, I don't think so. No, it just seemed normal. Yeah. Right. Cause I find that some people, you know, they, 
their passion is a hard thing for them to wear because if you go down the rabbit hole enough, people think you're nuts. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I'm yeah. sure you've had some of that. Have you ever, if, um, I guess the magic thing probably did that to some degree, huh? Yeah, yeah, I would say the magic thing. Yeah, there's a yeah large rabbit hole in that. So when you're seeing the, the plateau of the obsession of growing the delivery yeah. come. Yeah, and I just like, I just kind of got burnt out with that business, you know, with the dry cleaning. It's a tough business and I loved it and it took me, you know, built tons of relationships and brought me where I'm at today. Um, but yeah, I just got, you know, I just knew that there was something else to do. Because some voice was like, hey, this is not feeding the the, the passion demon. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and, the and, 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 you know, like leaving the dry cleaning business, like was obviously tough. So like in my journey of finding like the next thing, like I knew it had to be like the right thing and really make sense to like leave my dad and all that. Cause I enjoyed doing what I did. Like I really did. And you know, we were like a team, like that was fun stuff. Yeah. And leaving a family business is a lot of implication too. Yeah. My, my sister's worked out. My dad still works on my dry, my dad's dry cleaner. She's 32 and she's been there for like 16, 17 years. Like, you know, it's yeah. family business. Yeah. My yeah. family's a lot like that too. So yeah. I can, I can relate to that to yeah. some degree. Yeah. So when you, when you're getting to that point where you're getting burned out and it, it's time for part two and we don't know what part two is, how close does that coincide with your fabled trip with your girlfriend mm-hmm. where you get the Inspirato for what becomes the first Bach truck? Does, oh. this, does this happen coincide? Mm-hmm. Uh, not. I mean, it was about two years. Like, there was probably a good two years of, like, I knew that I wanted to do something else. But, like, during that time, obviously, I still gave everything I had to the dry cleaning business. Um but yeah, about two years, I would say. And then, you know, when I had the idea for what is now tweeds or custom clothing, like I just, I knew it. Like just something just clicked. Like this was it. And, and that- the, immediately the second I saw it, the second I saw it, I knew this was, a, this was it. And like there was, and then that was probably my most obsessive thing ever. Like, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about because I feel like uh, there's probably a lot of people out there that can benefit from hearing that when when you have that feeling, when you see it and you know yeah, it, yeah. and you actually latch on and follow through with that. What yeah. does that feel like when you're going through the rest of your vacation with your girlfriend and yeah. there's part of your mind that's thinking, all I want to do is get home and yeah, sell my yeah, car? Yeah. That's all I want to do. Yeah. What is that like? Uh, I don't know. I just like – to be, like to be preoccupied that, enough to not be scared, I guess. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I look back at that time, and I'm like, I don't know how I had the courage to do that. Because, like, you know, I got down to, like, $0 in my bank account. We were living across the street here. Rent was, like, two grand a month. And, right. like, you know, I didn't, again, I didn't save money. Um, but all I can say is, like, when I saw it, I just, I just knew and immediately became absolutely obsessed. I needed to start figuring out the pieces right away. And I did. I was already on the phone trying to get a car loan to get the box truck and get rid of my car. And, like, immediately it just started coming together. So that's where the obsession, when, when you can, and I hate to use the word obsession, but it's like it's almost like passion's action. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you can be passionate enough to take, some obs- to take some action, you'll seem obsessed. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So you get home and you get the box truck, and you don't have any background as to where your suppliers are coming from, no. anything like this. You're just full-on gung-ho. Yeah. So tell me what that's like when you're operating from dead blank slate. All you know is I'm getting a box truck. Yeah, I mean, I think when, when you know you want to do something and you really, really want to make it happen, you just figure a way to make it happen. So like the day we got, like the day we got back, sold the car, found the box truck. First thing was 
first thing that came to mind is how am I going to build out the box truck? So I started like calling like handy guy, handyman that would like keep the truck in like their lot for like three months while they built it out or something like that. So I found two guys to build it out. And then, um, and then from there I need to figure out how to measure people. Right. Cause I didn't know how to do that. So I started learning how to measure and then I need to figure out how to find fabrics find someone to make the suits. And so it was just a constant like four months of just like go, go, go. And the measurement is like the art unto itself. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah, it really is because like every, I think a lot of people measure differently, but I mean, um, yeah, like the measurement is the key to the fit. Like if you don't have the right measurements, you, yeah, it's not good. What's some of the common things that you see in off-the-rack stuff where they got to give <clears> you the, the cookie-cutter measurement where the made-to-order thing is just vastly better? Yeah, um, I mean, everyone's got different bodies. So, like, you know, the guy who, like, has, like, the bodybuilder guy who has, like, a big chest, you know, tapers down, like, he's going to go into an off-the-rack suit. And, like, it's probably going to be really tight up here. And then it's going to be super, super baggy in, like, the stomach. And there's only so much you can taper to, like, make that fit right. So, like, unless it's, like, an athletic cut, like, that's just not going to work for him. So while you're first developing this and having this, all the box truck built and all this, all of the things that separate what you're about to do from the other end of the fence, the off the rack or the ready to wear or whatever, this is all things you have to learn as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I I just kind of like, once the truck was built and I, I figured out the measurements and stuff, the first thing to me was like, go get sales because now I can figure out how to actually put this into place. Because if you don't have someone to sell to, like, what's the point in having any product? Because you can't show off your product. So how long between when you get home and get the truck to when you're taking somebody's measurements first is that? Uh, So when I got the truck, how long did it take to measure someone? Yeah, how long was it till you got that first sale? Yeah, so I went, well, I mean, I practiced on my dad and stuff. Like, he bought a few little things. And then a buddy of mine took me like an hour and a half to measure them the first time. It was hilarious. Like we're in the truck for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and that's a long time. Yeah. So yeah, I've never been measured. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, we're, we're like a measurement process now. Like we can knock out in 25 minutes and that's like, our process is really in depth now. So like we take all the measurements and then we actually put them in a jacket and we take pictures and videos so we can see how our patterns lay on their body and then we put them in a pair of pants and do the same thing. And then we put them in a shirt and do the same thing. Um, and now we put them in jeans because we do custom jeans. So like that whole thing, now that we've perfected the process, takes like 25 minutes. And you can do all that in the truck? Uh, we used to do all that in the truck. Now we now everything basically happens in the store gotcha. or in a client's home or office. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So how long was the period okay. of time between truck and first sale? First, between first truck stranger. Being done. Yeah. First stranger, truck being done and first sale. Oh, gosh. Maybe, oh my gosh, I wish I, I, I don't know, probably a few weeks or maybe not even probably a week. Well, yeah. dang. Yeah. So you didn't even have a time to have a crisis of faith. No, no, no. Yeah. We just went. So I'll tell you how it happened. You know what Kawa Coffee is? Yeah. On 2nd Street? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2nd Street. I just parked the truck up in front of Kawa Coffee. And um, Seth, you know Bobby Reardon, right? Yeah. Uh, so he uh, came and saw the truck. So he's like, yo, dude, I want to support you. Like I don't I don't know who I didn't know who he is. He's like he came up and got measured and bought a jacket. I was like, yeah, heck yeah. And he's still a client today, and he's a friend. Nice. Like, um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, well, I imagine that this you have a humongous relationship-based business. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's very, very relationship-based. I mean, and for us, like, referrals are huge. So, like, giving a good product, giving a good service, building a relationship is just really, really big for us. It's cool, man. It's like, you know, we're like the barber for your clothes. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you go to your barber and you, like, whatever. You got the relationship with them. Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, actually my my barber before I started shaving my head was my my first guest on. Oh, you so you go to Fresco then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, shout out Fresco. So you do the box truck thing that starts to take off relatively quickly, or you had to grind that out and try oh, to prove your concept. Such a grind. Yeah, and especially in the beginning. Now it's like, or in the beginning versus now is like I tell the guys like in the beginning like this guy started a a suit company out of a box truck and I'd be knocking on doors and people like, what, what are you doing? Like, what is this? You know what I mean? There's no credibility. There's nothing. And how old are you at this point? Uh, 26, no, 26 or 27. Yeah. 20. I was about to turn 27, I believe. Something like that. Okay. 26, 27. And, um, but now it's like, we've built a little bit of a brand and like, we're somewhat established. So like we can either knock on a door or walk into an office and hopefully like, Oh yeah, I've seen your truck or something. So there's more credibility there. But yeah, in the beginning, it was like phone calls, knocking on doors, hitting the power base, and trying to get sales. Because most everybody that was your initial clients, your concept was foreign to them, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And and what I really did, though, in the beginning was like hit a lot of the old dry cleaning clients that I knew. Mm-hmm. So at least there was a relationship there. And I had an idea, okay, this person wears a suit. Like, let me hit up Tom, whatever. And right. Yeah, so. And the the concierge portion of it benefits that. Those right. clients as well. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like I knew there was like a there's a very there's a lot of synergy between my dad's dry cleaning business and, and the clothing business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you're making your first couple suits, how long till you're finally feeling confident in what you're doing? Or was it you, you got the skill set and you felt good about it out of the gate? Yeah. Uh no, I mean yeah, there's a lot of like when the suit comes in and like the client's trying on, it's like hoping like, oh man, this feels really good. Like, yeah, hopefully, well, you t- hear that through the curtain or something. Yeah, talk to me know. about those first couple ones. Where, where, where your first couple things that you measured are coming back made order? What, what's going through? Your they mind? looked really, really good. We just posted um, a story though on our Instagram about like one that was a disaster. Did you happen to see that or not? I didn't. No. Okay. So, uh, one of my dad's dry, or one of our dry cleaning clients lives out on Longboat Key. I reached out to him because I'm like, this is this guy I think would support me, and I think he probably needs suits. Mm-hmm. So I bring the truck to his house. I get them all measured up. Three weeks, like, all right, so he's like my size, uh, maybe a little bit more built, maybe a little bit shorter. And his pants come in, and like I'm looking at the pants, and they're like, like they're just huge. <laughs> like the crotch measurement is like huge. I'm like, I did the measurement, so like it's got to be close. Like I've done this a few times now. Right. So I bring bring the suit over to him, and he puts on the pants, and they're like. Just ginormous. I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> and it was like, so no, that was a fun one. But you know, again, like cool guy. He was like, yeah, just remake the pants. Not a big deal. I was gonna say, uh, what? How do you how do you pivot with that? Because with everything made to order, you've got a lead time of what? What's a typical like lead time? Four to six for? weeks. Yeah, and yeah. that's relatively quick for a customer. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, and we can do things super quick. Like we just had a guy hit us up. He needs something in twelve days, and like, luckily, like we get priority, so like we can get that done. But like. Yeah, no, I mean, but most people are cool. Like, you know, you make mistakes, and as long as you fix them, then, you know, hopefully people understand. And that almost helps build a client relationship to some degree, huh? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. But now our our measuring process is so thorough that, like, most of the time we're just nailing it. Like, obviously there's some alterations and stuff like that, but we nail it most of the time. Yeah. Is all 
and I pr- forgive my naivety with this, but is all custom clothing that's done, quote unquote, the right way, still measured by hand with a tape? Or are some people doing like the app thing where you see and they take a picture of you and it just gives you the measurements? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never personally used uh, that technology. Is um, that prominent? I've, I've heard good and bad things about it. So I don't actually know. Okay. I mean, I guess like I would never like there's big machines like we would like there's a machine that we can get to put in the store and like client goes in, they sit in there, it spins around and then it gives them the, spits out the measurements in like 30 seconds. But like, we like the whole like old school thing of like building that real like we get to talk with the client for twenty minutes while we're measuring them. Like we don't want to take everything out of like so many things get taken out of life with technology. You know what I mean? Like this True. is a cool thing. Like we can still sit there and talk to a cl- custom a client and and measure them up and like give them that service. How much of the traditional nature of the tailor clothier business do you take pride in bringing back or rejuvenating? And I ask that because I see that. A lot in the barber world too, because these are such old occupations. Yeah, I mean, I guess the me- the measurement portion, right? That's that's cool. Not going to a technology, you know, to a newer technology thing that other clothiers are probably using. But I think what's cool with like tweeds is like, you know, we're like an old school like clothier, right? But like we brought like a cool like hip vibe to it, like rather than like super traditional store stuff all over the place. Like you come in and it's like clean. You grab a drink, talk, sit down, whatever. Like, yeah. So, but traditional, but with a, a deliberately conscious, more modern aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that comes in when we get to part two with the brick and mortar. But let's uh, let's talk about the truck journey a little bit. So it starts to you, you grind for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. When is it that you realize this is taken off and this is this is good to go? Yeah. Um, so I was at a <clears throat> I was at a Grant Cardone conference, business boot camp. With my dad, actually, it was like September, it's like 2021, and there's a guy named Brandon Dawson. He kind of talks about like building properly, building a business, and like you know, you could become, you could stay a sole proprietorship and you know do that thing and stay small, or you can potentially try to build something big with the right infrastructure. But you need people to do that. So I signed up to uh, like a three day program that he does. That's not cheap, but that was kind of like my commitment to like. I'm going to put this money into this and I'm going to find my first person before that event, which was Rob. And then from there, we're going to try to build a team. So that's when that started, like making that commitment. And if you're trying to start a business too, like, right, like yourself, if you're listening, like my commitment to doing tweeds was like, sell my car, buy the truck. Now you got to make it happen. You know what I mean? Like putting something in place that like establishes your commitment. How long did it take you to get to the next point, though, like that when you're making the next commitment where you have— About two years. So Yeah. So that's not too bad. So no. then how long between that, because your next big thing after that is brick and mortar, right? Yeah. So what's the road like between when you're now having taken this course and doubling down on yourself and, you know, this is going to be more than just flying low a little bit? Yeah. What's What's that period like? That was, I mean, so that that was bringing on Rob, bringing on the first guy, and then starting to, you know, ch- starting to figure out the processes that I've been using myself for the past two years, and then teaching someone else to be able to do that. Because you were going out with two trucks or two in one truck? D- no, no. So what was the question? When again? you bring on Rob, who- yeah, yeah. So bring on Rob, right? And then I realized, like, I got to now I have to teach Rob everything that I've done over the year, you know, years, and be able to you know, train him to be able to do that so that, 
you know, he can go out and run appointments and that type of thing. That's what I mean. The yeah. goal with him was to start another truck. Yes, and that's what we did. We did. Okay. So I bought him. Then we bought another truck, built it out, and he was going to appointments in that truck. So then at that point, there was three trucks. And that was how I thought I was going to build it out. was like, okay, I'm going to bring on another guy, another truck, and we'll start going around. And then another guy, another truck. And then it just didn't pan out that way. What part of that seemed to be not advantageous? Uh, I didn't know where I was going to put all the trucks. <laughs> yeah. That was one thing. Um, <clears throat> it just didn't seem super scalable like that way. Is it hard to trust that whomever you hire as another tailor can yeah, 100%. maintain, I hate to say the word quality, but do things to your whatever your standard may be because you can't sit there and hawk over their shoulder. You can't double check. You have to trust that their job is done right. properly to reflect your business. How How yeah, is that's that? Super, I mean, that's tough because it's like, you know, you know that me being, you know, the owner and me, it's my business. Like no one's ever going to really do it the same way. Right. Right. But, you know, you know, hopefully you can bring on good people and trust them. But yeah, that's really tough because now you're, you're letting go a portion of your business. But if you don't do that, then you, you then you're just going to become a one man. You're just going to be a one man show because you can't do it all yourself. You can only go so far with one person. So after you bring on person one, how long till you bring on person two and three and where? So it was, so it started to happen a little bit quicker. Now it's like November 21, Rob came on and then August 22, Mike came on and then January 23, TJ came on and then June, now Matt came on. So now four. Okay. And where in that timeline do you go brick and mortar? Uh, August 22. So when, when I did brick and June 22 is when I signed the lease for brick and mortar and then that's when I realized I need another guy. And was this a similar point in the story as when you take this conference and realize you got to take on guy one and truck two and all that? Was this another real pivotal point for you doubling down? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, God, now I got a store. Like, now we got overhead and a huge build out and, like, money's going a little bit. Um, but then, you know, when Rob came on, another thing, too, was, like, you know, because we just had the trucks— like, we didn't really have, like, an actual place to work out of. Like, we'd just be sitting in the trucks all day or at my house, and we had just had a baby. So now, like, me and Rob are at the house working. The baby's running around crying. My and when you're working, you're there. talking clerical stuff, follow-up calls, things follow like that. Follow-up calls, pressing clothes, getting things organized, that type of thing, all day just in the house. And I was like, well, if we're going to, you know, I know I don't want to just be me and Rob. I know I want to build something bigger. Like, I'm, I'm doing it now anyway. Um, so... Let's try to find a store. And so. the truck's momentums were building still at that point. Yeah, yeah. Everything's still building at this point. Everything's still building every day. But, um, yeah, so then brought, you know, Rob on, signed for the store about seven months after Rob came on. And then when I signed for the store, I realized I need to have another guy. And then I asked Mike to come work for Tweed, come with Tweeds. All these guys I've known forever. They're all buddies, friends. And you've trained them personally to do the work? Yeah, yeah. 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 Now it is starting to come to a point now that like, as we bring on new guys, like, like Rob's well-versed enough that he can train someone and help them learn how to measure. And Mike is as well. So like, that's cool. What's been one of the biggest scary moments of having a brick and mortar. I've, I've also had to go that route too at points. And I'm wondering how that felt for you because where you're at here in Sarasota, this is even with the momentum and recognition you have, this is a, 
this is a big gamble. Yeah. No question about it. Life is risky. No, yeah. no one gets out alive. Yeah. How 100%. do you, how do you manage that risk? What did it feel like? Oh, gosh, man, I don't, I don't really, I just kind of look at, I just kind of take everything day by day. And like, I know like the rent is there or whatever. And you know, the overhead is there if you're kind of talking money and stuff with this. And like the other pressure is like, now I've got guys working for me. I got to make sure I set them up for success. I teach them what to do and that we're all doing well. But at the end of the day, man, we're just like every day we just take it like, you know, hit hit our follow-up calls, hit our sales, go to events, try to get our name out in front of people. And at the end of the day, if you're doing all that stuff, it should relate to sales. And if you're having sales, you should have profit, and then that should pay for everything. So I don't know. I don't I don't I try not to think about that too much. It just, seems like the taking one day at a time stance is important to you. Yeah, I've never like I've never sat down with tweeds and been like, okay, this is the plan for the next five years. Where did that start for you? What's that? Being able to embrace staying in the day, because a lot of entrepreneurs and and people who are trying to attempt anything in yeah. general, maybe you get caught up too much in the details or too much of what can happen or whatever. It's forward just, thinking, yeah, or forward thinking. And thinking. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I mean, I'm sure if potentially if I had thought about all the things that could go wrong beforehand and written it out and like thought about that, maybe things would have gone smoother. Um, but I don't know. It's just how I've always been. Like I just, I just take it day by day. And I just like, I would, I didn't never thought like we would ever have a brick and mortar. Like two years ago, even like if you would have asked me, Hey, would you ever have a store? I'd say, heck, heck no, I never want a store. And then now I've got two or want the second store opening. So things always change. Like a plan is, a plan, but anything could change that plan. Right. And so why why waste the time even trying to figure that out? So the impetus of the store in large part was to alleviate the working out of home part. Yeah, yeah, and also like to have a really cool space to host events and to have like a real atmosphere for you know clients to come in and then have a really great experience. Like that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. What else has that provided? Yeah, you? like maybe that you didn't expect. Yeah, yeah, the the experience. Like clients come in now, we have AC. <laughs> it feels good in the store. Right. We have a full bar in the back, so someone comes in, we greet them, we ask them if they want a water, we take them to the back, get them a drink, whatever. They go through the whole process, and it's just comfortable. And so we're just trying to create a cool experience. And reflect some of the the budding culture that surrounds the wear that you have, correct? Yeah, 100%. Thank you for sticking with us. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you'd like to make a difference and take your support to the next level, please visit our Patreon and consider becoming a member. Link in the description. Everything counts in large amounts. Thank you again. Now back to the show. How much do you think we're at some kind of weird cultural crossroads where you've got this certain group of people now that that is finding people like you, wants to look better, wants to look put together, wants to have a shirt that's made for them versus this, for want of a better term, I just don't give a shit culture. Yeah. How does it affect me? How does it affect your business? Because, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are just straight up, I won't wear a suit. I I don't need to wear a shirt. I don't want to wear a tie. Right, right. I I think that comes from like a, I think, I don't know, right, because everyone's got a different vision. But, like, I think that comes from, like, potentially, like, their their idea of someone wearing a suit is like someone who's in you know back in like a corporate job from like the eighties and they're forced to wear a suit every day and it looks baggy and there's no style to it and like that's like their vision like I don't want to do that but like that's not how it has to be like you can put together like a suit that looks really really good and cool with your own style 
and doesn't yeah. have the stigma of being yeah. feeling trapped. Right, yeah, and feeling trapped. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's, there's like, tons of, you know, I get it. Like, the, the work culture is just, you know, it's a lot less dressed up these days. So all I can do is wear a suit every day, try to make it seem cool to wear a suit, build a great brand, and, and hopefully, you know, inspire people to maybe throw on a dress shirt, like— or, or if you go out on a Friday night, like I always say this, like go out on a Friday night and actually put a little bit of care into what you wear. I mean, your girl, like your your girl usually puts time together and makes them look good, you know? Like why are you just throwing on a pair of basketball shorts and a T-shirt and having absolutely no care for how you look? Right. Like I don't, I don't get that. Because it can be a night and day difference me- mentally. Yeah. So let well, me and ask. And that is, have you heard of the enclosed cognition? I have not. No. All right. So later on, if you're listening to this, Look up uh, the study, like the enclosed cognition, and there's a study done by Northwestern University. It's basically what your clothes are saying to you, mm-hmm. not about you, and it's really, really cool. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot of validity to that because, you know, I mean, like any animal that wants to make themselves look right for whatever reason, we've kind of abandoned that because we've got so much option. Yeah. Um, but let, let me ask you this, you know, um, being in Florida is a bit challenging. It's hot here. You know, you got a lot of people that don't want to dress up because of that. Yeah. What are the challenges that you face to try to get somebody who maybe wants to look better, yeah. but they don't, I mean, it's 96 degrees, yeah. 7 a.m. That's hot. How did you learn to manage that one? Uh, I mean, it's a big objection we get every day. And I mean, for, I mean, but regardless, it's hot either way. Like whether you're wearing a suit or a t-shirt and shorts, like it's hot. Um, but, but I, I mean, mean, from a from what you had to learn from a fabric yeah. suit construction oh, okay. standpoint, yeah, I mean, we're 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 just use super lightweight fabrics. Like that's most of what we source. Like most people think, like you know, wool is a heavy fabric, and it can be. But we source, you know, a super one thirty, one forty, where it's super breathable, feels really really good. What do those numbers mean? It's just the thread count, basically how okay. light, delicate they are. Yeah, um, and then you know, in the construction of of the jacket itself, like. You know, we don't really use like a gluing process, like when you're making the jacket. So the jacket breathes better, it feels better, it's lighter. So, you know, yeah, we try to make it as light and as best for Florida as you can. So when you find somebody that you can get over their objections or people that are first timers, what is that like when you when you see that? How does that feel for you when you see someone feeling good about themselves and you'd help that? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, especially like they come out the fitting room and then they want to wear it out. That's cool. <laughs> Tell me about maybe a first-timer, somebody that you did their first suit with. Job willing, that'll be me at some point. I, I haven't been <laughs> fitted for a suit since I was in Hollywood 20 years ago. So it'll a lot be of, like a, lot a first. Of, a lot of first custom suits we do for guys is like younger guys getting married. And like, you know, they're like, maybe they'll have a job that they need a suit or whatever. So like now it's this first time in their life where they actually like, all right, I'm getting, it, I'm getting married. It's a good time for me to get a custom suit. So they hit us up. Mm-hmm. And every time, like the reaction is just like... Like, um, and sometimes, like, the, the women, when they see, like, their guy come out, like, they're just, like, blown away because they've never seen him in, like, a well-fitted suit. And so it's a good feeling for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool that yeah. you can then help people in those kinds of capacities, not just business suits. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, a good, a good mix of what we do is, you know, wedding suits, business suits. Like, it, everyone comes to us with a different need. So what's the most gratifying part for you personally? You definitely seem like you enjoy the process more than the reward. I think probably my favorite part in the whole process is like, first off, we have to understand what the client wants. And then if, if they're a little bit open to like helping us put together something, it's, it's really, really gratifying. Like 
being able to put together a look that I know will look good. Like, like maybe they, they're like, oh, that, that's a little different, but like I know it'll look, look right. And then seeing it come together is really awesome. How do you manage interjecting your tastes or opinions versus clients' either bad ideas or less than desirable ideas? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not the one wearing it. So, you know, um, it's always a personal preference. And if a client thinks something might look, I mean, for the most part, right, like if they think it'll look good, like, and then they feel good in it, then that's great. Like, I mean, who's to say, like, my opinion is right and their opinion is wrong? You know what I mean? So, like, we let them guide that process and we'll help, help, you know, help them along the way if they have a question and stuff and, and give our input. But at the end of the day, it's their suit and we want to make them feel good. But someone could come into you and just say, car blanche, measure me, dress me. Oh, 100%. How often do you get to do that? Not as often. Most guys come in, they kind of have an idea of what they want. But uh, sometimes here and there, again, like a lot of what we're doing is wedding stuff. So like guy comes in, they need a navy suit, black suit, gray suit, or they have a, or they have a color palette that they need. So that's a big part of what we do. You know, another part is maybe an older gentleman who just needs to get a new navy suit or something. But yeah, sometimes like a guy will come in and they're like, hey, I trust your expertise. Let's put something together. And that's always the most fun. Because then you can stray away from just the monochrome thing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, we can start to, imp- like, some of my, my favorite looks I like to put together for clients is like suit separates. So, like, you know, light pair of, you know, light pair of pants with like a pattern jacket with like a white shirt or something like that can like look really good. So, yeah. So do you have points where, like barbers or tattoo artists, people come in with a picture and say, hey, I want to look like this? Or is it more that, you know, they either have their own idea or you get to guide them? How how much leeway is there there? Do you have to kind of... I mean, we get a lot of guys that come in and they're like, hey, they they see Conor McGregor in a suit or something, or like Harvey Specter in a suit, and they're like, just, you know, I want something like this. So it helps us get a visual of what they want. But um, yeah, a lot of guys will come in and like, they'll try to start to describe and depict what they want. And then usually through our Instagram or something, we have something that we can show them to help visualize it. So it's not so much like trends as it is more like niche things. People say they want to look like this. You don't have like overarching trends. Now everybody's buying blue suits for six months. No, not really. I mean, blue is is always the most popular. Right. Like we always get the, the person who comes in, he's like, man, like they'll, they're like they've already got a few blue suits in their closet. They want something different, and then we're showing them fabric swatches, and you immediately gravitate towards the blue again. It's just like it's hard to stay away from blue. Like you know, it's a good color. Is it hard to get people to to step outside their comfortability in general when it comes to suits? Because when I see all the the more lively patterns and things, that's what I'm personally attracted to. Yeah. Couldn't put me in a monochrome suit. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm curious like how much of that you have to fight, how much cultural that is there where people can't, you know, they get self conscious, oh my God, I can't wear a pattern I'm gonna look like I belong at Ringling. Yeah, well I mean it's like I mean, for them wearing a suit in the first place could potentially already be uncomfortable. And then, you know, throwing a blue and white window pane on top of that might just not work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like wearing the suit already might be uncomfortable and then like doing something crazy. But like you're used to dressing up and feeling good. And you're, you got that personality. Like you can pull it off and that's not going to, you know, it just might, might work for you. Right. But like, 
Yeah, I mean, it's super important for us to sit down with the client and go through our discovery phase so we can understand what's going to best fit them. Do you find the brick and mortar helps that? Yeah, for sure, because we can sit in the back and we have like a poker table that we just sit around and talk for a little bit. Nice. Yeah, because like, okay, why are you coming in? Okay, I'm getting married. I lost a bunch of weight. I need, I need a new Navy suit. Um, I'm going to a business conference. Um, like all those things are going to start to like depict, like bring us branches off into different areas. If they're getting married, now we need to know like, do they already have color picked out or what are the color palettes of the wedding, right? If they're going to a business conference, now that guy might want like a pair of jeans and a t-shirt over like a sport coat. Like that's going to be super common for business conferences. The guy who lost a bunch of weight and now doesn't have any suits in his closet might need a new Navy suit or like a black suit just to have, Right. You know, so like we need to start off there so we can figure out what they need. So when you're going around knocking on doors, you're literally hoping to find one of these people that now walks in your door? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you're knocking on a door, and, and I hate to backtrack here a little bit, but this kind of dawns me. You knock on the door, and what, what, what's the approach here? Is anybody getting married? Yeah, no, <laughs> that would be a good approach. No, it's usually like, uh, hey, I'm Donald with Tweeds. We, uh, you know, we do a custom clothing business here. Just want to see if you're in the market for any new custom clothing. Like, we usually just cut to the chase. But only one time did I actually sell a suit on the spot, knocking on doors, and that was pretty cool. That was, like, in the first month of starting tweets. And, again, that guy's still a client and super cool guy. That was a sign. Yeah, I was, like, knocked on the guy's door. If you've heard of Tom James before, they're big. Have you heard of Tom James? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're huge, right? Big company. They have reps all over. He's used Tom James in the past. Wasn't happy or whatever. They're a good company, but maybe he just didn't have a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. Came out into the truck, measured him up, and he bought a suit. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, all those little things in the beginning, like, all those guys that supported me in the beginning, like, gave me so much confidence to, like, keep going. And so, like, I'm super grateful for that. And you've been able to build on that in lieu of this being such a relationship-based business. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so brick and mortar's going. You've been there for a little while now. Trucks still going, right? Mm-hmm. Do you plan to expand the trucks as well uh, as the brick and mortar? Because brick and mortar is expanding, right? Yeah, brick and mortar is expanding. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe in a year from now, we'll have a few more trucks. I'm, I'm not sure. That stays in the day-by-day thing? Yeah, because like right now, I don't really think. I know right now I'm set to like, I'm, I'm thinking brick and mortar, try to figure that out. But then maybe in six months, I'll be like, huh, maybe we need another truck. I don't know. Well, tell me a little bit about brick and mortar part two and how you get to that. So, I mean, as far as it goes so quickly. Yeah. Um, I was just, you know, Tampa's a great market. Figured it'd be really, really cool to bring tweets to Tampa. Like we've already got a good bit of clientele up there. From taking the trucks up there? Yeah. And we do like, we like some of our geofencings in Tampa too. So we got a, and we've got like people in Sarasota know people in Tampa. So it just kind of built out naturally. Um, so found a sick location next to, you know, Oxford Exchange? I don't. No? Have you heard of it? It's a really cool little place off of uh, West Kennedy Boulevard. Okay. But we're right next, we're right to the left of Oxford Exchange. Nice. In a small, in a little intimate 700 square foot place, and it's going to look dope. Are you going to try to mirror your aesthetic of here, or are you going to let each place have its own personality? 100% let each place each have, have its own personality. That's cool. Yeah, but that could change too. <laughs> Right. Well, that's the beauty of <laughs> being able to stay day by day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't got to commit too hard and limit yeah. yourself too much. Yeah. So you can expand brick and mortar. That's all well and good. You could, you know, we got plenty of opportunity for that around here, especially yeah. since you're saying your network has got excellent network of its own. 
But the trucks seem like a thing that would be ripe for franchising. Have you ever thought about that? Is that yeah, something that's I ever mean, crossed your mind? Because it seems like you've got the what it takes to go from truck to selling suits out of the truck pretty well buttoned up. Yeah. yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, that could definitely be an option. I've ne- I haven't looked into that much, or but yeah, I've had people, you know, say that that could be a good way to go, but I just haven't put much effort into that. Because some of the source of the fulfillment of this for you personally is just the building and growing it, the doing it, pursuing it, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that 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 keeps me excited. So you can kind of live on that philosophy of getting in the end zone, but not doing an end zone dance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I know you just day to day. Next thing you're going to do is just be tomorrow because that's the next day. Yeah. How long till the Tampa store is open? About three weeks. Oh, shoot. So you move pretty quick yeah, on yeah, that too, yeah. huh? Tomorrow the wallpaper goes up. I'm pretty stoked about that. Nice. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to look good. And what so. are you doing for a staffing hurdle? Uh, so the new guy, Matt, who we brought on, he's going to be running that location. Okay, because yeah. he didn't. He wasn't running a truck. No, he wasn't running a truck, and no one really runs a truck. We're all kind of stationed in the Sarasota downtown store. Okay, and then if if like, hey, someone calls us and we need to go out, we just one of the guys goes out and takes care of them. Okay, so yeah. the truck business doesn't really act independently anymore. It's more an adjunct to the brick and mortar now. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and even when we're going out to clients, like typically we're going in their home or office, just a little bit more comfortable. Sure. Yeah. So, but but people really like that convenience. Very cool. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with the Tampa store. It should be fun. I'm excited. And then uh, let's see where it goes from there. So what's the next big thing you got coming at the shop here? You do events there? You got any on the books? We're doing a real, another realtor event tomorrow with uh, Veterans Realty, and then we'll definitely do a holiday party. But the next big event will be the grand opening for Tampa in, like, October. Very cool. Yeah. We're not going to do, like, we'll do, like, a soft opening and be open for, like, six weeks, and then we'll do a grand opening. Very cool. Yeah. So, so for some of the people that are on the fence, and, and I hate to say it, do, do dress like 10-year-olds, if you want to start getting into better-looking clothes, leading your way on up to where having custom clothes makes sense or is worth it or is something you're going to enjoy, where's the ground floor of that? What's, what's the things to avoid with off the rack, or what's the things that you definitely like you said, with the gluing, what's what's the difference between what you get off the rack that's glued and your alternative is stitched, I imagine? Yeah, yeah uh, it's a canvas. It's a canvas where it's not, like, because a jacket's a three-dimensional shape, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, like, the less expensive version to do it is, like, to fuse the garment together, but we use a canvas, so it's it frees better. It, like, kind of molds your body over time um, and just lasts longer that way. But, I, I mean, if someone's going to, like, you know, they don't care about the way they dress. I guess they have to kind of figure out their own style a little bit first and, like, how what, what way do they want to go? Because the ground floor for a custom suit is X dollars? 1700 Okay. Yeah, that's where they start. And if you're talking about a comparable off-the-rack suit, five, 600 bucks? Uh, man, maybe for a comparable, maybe more like eight or nine. Okay, yeah, so it's yeah. not really that big of a gap. No, I don't think so, no. I mean, it's a garment that's made one-off where you pick everything about it so and, and should last longer. So, yeah, I don't think it's that big of a gap. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I feel the same way about you know <clears throat> guitars and the get what you pay for adage. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of hard to live by and kind of hard to shop to people. Yeah, what are some of the things that you've had to learn? I hate to couch it this way, but more selling to the affluent because by nature that's just who your your more general client is. Correct? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, obviously, it's not an inexpensive garment, so like, yeah, like you're you're going to come in and spend typically like at least two thousand. Um, so, you know, not everyone can just throw that type of money around. Right. Yeah. But your alternative to that or where you've kind of branched out for that was, is what you call as ready to wear with the jeans. Is that the proper term for that? Yeah, we do. We have ready to wear jeans. Um, and how does that work? So we have a whole like sizing of jeans and colors, but then we also do custom jeans too. So someone could come in and buy ready-to-wear or, or custom. How does the custom jeans thing work? Because I'm one of these people that cannot find jeans. No? Like, in, what's, the, what's the issue? I'm too tall for how thin I am. So I have way too much crotch, or I have to buy a 36-inch waist for them to be long enough. Got it. And I'm more like a— So do they be—like, when you find, like, they're too baggy? Yes. Too so baggy. I have to get, you know, slim ones. Yeah. That are actually big enough for someone who isn't doesn't have pencil legs. Yeah. So I I just I mean I literally have found one pair of Vans pants that fits me, and I just try to keep buying them. Yeah. <laughs> so the the process is kind of like the same as a suit. Like we take all the measurements, we put you in one of our jeans, we take the videos and pictures to see how everything sits, and then we have like legs of the jeans, so you can see the colors, and then you pick the stitching, the patches, the buttons, and it's all made from scratch. Too. And what's the cost disparity in something like that? I so mean, ready to jeans w- are expensive to begin with. Yeah, they are, and these are definitely not inexpensive as well. So ready-to-wear jeans are $3.95, and then custom jeans are $5.95. Okay, so yeah. not a terrible gap. No, no, I don't think so either. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? About We started pushing it when we opened the store about 10 months ago. So, um, yeah, about, about that long. And you have other garments that fall in that category too? T-shirts and... Yeah, we do. We have T-shirts that are made out of bamboo. We can't do those custom, but most anyone could come in and, and probably find a size that would fit them off the rack pretty well. Yeah, T-shirts a little more forgiving. Yeah, yeah, especially with all the stretch and everything. We, we're trying to come up with a custom program for T-shirts because I think that would be cool. Um, I just haven't quite figured that process out yet. Right, and there's yeah. a lot of competition for that with the... Five for twenty-five. Ones yeah, that yeah, there are. There is a lot. So, do but you, like, I would look at like I always look at that too. Is like you have your five for twenty-five T-shirt, which maybe you wear on a daily basis. But then again, you look at like your our shirts are like one fifty-ish. Then you look at your like more expensive T-shirt like ours, and like that's the shirt you don't wear daily. Like it's the shirt you throw over a pair of jeans or something when you go out on like a night. You know what I mean? I just feel like you feel better in that type of thing. Um, so you don't want to throw that type of thing around, obviously. Right. But I just, yeah, I think it's two separate things. You got, you know, daily and then nicer occasion. So where do you see the most latitude with what you got going on? Do you think you're going to, you'll, you'll end up doing more custom clothing mm-hmm. or you're going to end up doing that, this, the ready to wear and that sort of thing? More custom. More custom? Yeah. I always want to stay like tweeds as being like, we're a custom clothier. That's what we specialize in. But if you need something quickly and you you know, we just can't turn it around, then we'll have something ready for you. Right. Hopefully. Right. But, you know, I don't want to, like, we get calls all the time, like, you know, you can do rentals or anything, and that's just not our game. We want to just be the best custom clothier. Yeah. That's important to, to stay in that niche. Yeah, it's just like, we just don't want to be the company that starts to do everything. Like, oh, why don't we do a bottle of cologne and deal it? Like, no, I just, 
we're custom clothing. That's what we do. Yeah. And again, maybe that does change. I was going to say, until a different <laughs> yeah, day comes yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. And you're saying, two years ago, yeah. I said I was never going to do clothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's where we're at today. And that's, you know, kind of where we're keeping it. Very cool. Yeah. So expanding brick and mortar. Yeah. Trucks operating out of the brick and mortar. Yeah. Everything on the up and up. Yeah. What's the thing that you're most excited about? See where we can take this thing. So you mentioned Grant Cardone has taken this thing. You just 10x. Is this the deal? Where it, it, is that really some of what drives you in this? Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's like the fun in it. I mean, like I love dressing clients and sourcing cool fabrics and like you know getting the right fit and all that. But like you know we do that, we do all that good, and then hopefully it, it helps us build to be a bigger company. Yeah, that that's super intriguing to me for sure. Yeah. I get that. I love yeah, that. The, yeah. the feeling passionate about being passionate. I really respect. I dig yeah, that. Yeah. So I'll get you out of here on this one, and your answer cannot be magician. <laughs> if you weren't doing this and yeah. hadn't had the the coincidence of the dry cleaning business and and your own gumption that led you into this, yeah. where do you think you'd be? What would you be doing? What could you see yourself kicking this much ass at? Oh man. <clears throat> If I wasn't doing this and I was doing, like, can I say entrepreneur or like I'm not doing that either? Yeah, but you, we, you can't yeah. be that vanilla. You yeah, got to yeah, be yeah, entrepreneur yeah. selling peanut butter or something. All right, all right so <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm going to throw a curveball out there, but I don't really know if this would be it. But yeah. like I had a time in like a few years of my life during the dry cleaning that I was like super into my health, super into working out, super into yoga. Nice. Like just like that type of thing. And maybe I'd be doing something like that. Like Very cool. maybe in like the fitness space or like. You know, helping people eat better. I don't know. I mean, that's not how I am now. I've totally, I need to get back into working out and stuff. But that really, that was really a, a fun part too of my life. I well, got, that's I, interesting you should say it because it seems like your self-discipline and your ability to stick to it has really yeah. driven you through all this. Yeah, and that, you know, that, that's something I missed in this too is like I got obsessed at one point with working out, eating healthy, yoga and stuff. Like when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do work-wise. Right. I didn't know what to do with the dry cleaning business. Um, so yeah, that was another thing I got obsessed with. Well, uh, I think that's really admirable, my man. And I, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, yeah. the, the good sides of obsession, yeah, yeah, the exactly. way you can turn your drive into some products and smiles and, and, and happy family yeah. and happy employees. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming down. I appreciate you taking the time. I can't thank you enough. And I look forward to having doing this again sometime when we're talking about the third, fourth store and maybe the yeah. franchise and trucks. Let's see, let's see what happens. All right. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. you man. Appreciate yep. you. Yeah. Yep.